Welcome to Talking Infrastructure, brought to you by global infrastructure company, ACOM. In this series, we'll be discussing the hot topics, key projects and innovations that are helping to solve some of the world's most complex infrastructure challenges. Hello and welcome to Talking Infrastructure. My name's James Banks and I'm Head of Marketing and Communications in Europe and India for ACOM. Today's podcast is focusing on how do we deliver infrastructure that truly benefits society. We'll be discussing the changes that need to be made to the current system, the innovation and digital transformation that we need, as well as wider issues such as sustainability and the skills shortage all of which we need to tackle if we want to successfully deliver the benefits we know infrastructure can bring. To discuss this topic, I'm pleased to welcome Nick Smallwood, Chief Executive of the Infrastructure and Projects Authority. Welcome, Nick. Hello. And ACOM's Chief Executive for Europe and India, Colin Wood. Welcome, Colin. Hi, James. Hi, Nick. So um, to kick things off, to, to get this conversation going, what do we mean about benefits? What are we talking about when we, we, we say about benefits to society? What, are we, what do we mean? What can infrastructure do in, a, in an ideal world? Colin, if I could and start with you on that point. Yeah, thanks, James. Um, I think we should, you know, from the outset, um, get it fairly clear that certainly from my perspective, we, we don't have all the answers. So when we're talking about infrastructure benefiting society, we need to understand what, you know, what are the societal needs that, that exist. So, you know, the first point for me is we need to engage with, you know, the, the, the society that we're actually delivering infrastructure for. Because if we get it right, you know, this, this is all about socioeconomic benefit. You know, we should be reducing social inequality. We should be generating a sense of an inclusive society. It should mean better health. It should mean, you know, more wealth, which obviously will, will, will generate uh, you know, either economic recovery or economic progress. Education should get better, um, and as I'm sure we'll, you know, we'll come through throughout this podcast, we, we need to do that in a sustainable way. Thanks, Colin. Uh, Nick, if I come to you, is Colin on the right tracks? Is that what you see about bringing ben- about infrastructure, bringing benefits? He is. I think everything we do in public sector infrastructure really should be focused on the citizen and delivering benefits to the citizen and looking more broadly across all the societal outcomes that we need. So whether it be building better hospital facilities, better schools, investment in prison and reform, all linear infrastructure, we should be thinking about societal outcomes and really what benefits are we providing to the citizen? So if we focus on the citizen, are there examples that, that you look to as exemplars of where infrastructure has, has been delivered that really truly benefits, brings those societal benefits? Are there, are there any projects or any locations that we, we always look to? And if, if they are, what are they? So maybe I can come in there first, James. There's, there's many, many great examples, I think, from projects uh, that have happened during the pandemic. If I think of uh, the Vaccine Task Force as one good exemplar where, you know, a real need to deliver to society was very clearly a burning platform. And that project team did a fantastic job of getting vaccine uh, program rolled out in short order to millions of uh, folks in the general public. We saw the Nightingale hospitals uh, erected in short order. And even before the pandemic, many examples that have really focused uh, and and helped during the pandemic. So what comes to mind is the 100,000 genome project that we, uh, we invested in and allowed us to really interrogate data 
data in a way that wasn't possible before. So there are many, many examples and good examples. Uh, there are many projects where we need to do a better job, of course. Mm. And Colin, what, what are the projects that you look to when you're sourcing from inspiration? Well, I think it's some of the ones that may not be immediately obvious. And I think you know, Nick has absolutely hit on you know, some really good examples that you know we, we've we've seen um, in in the recent past. But you know, for things for me that certainly we're involved in at the moment are things around carbon capture, um, where we're you know we're doing work up, up in Teesside, which may not be you know immediately obvious to you know, the, the citizens or the society you know where that where that project is taking place, but has an absolute benefit. Um, to the you know the quality of life in, in which they live, and I think one of the interesting dynamics for me, where we have been, I think, really successful with things such as the vaccine program that Nick mentioned, is that it's, it's probably you know, one of those times where there was a, a sense of a shared challenge, and we and we generated a community, and everybody was either pushing or pulling in a similar direction, and I think there's something in that, and I you know I go back to time I spent on the Olympics, you know, in London a few years ago, that, you know, one of the things I learned is that when you've got a, you know, a, a joint aim, a collective ambition to achieve something, you generate something which is normally quite special and quite successful. So I think we, we need to be looking at making improvements um, to society through infrastructure, but see it very much as a, as a shared uh, ambition and indeed obligation. Nick, if I could come back to you, um, it sounds like we've got some great, great examples there. Um, uh, you know, from from your department, you're looking at and how we can transform the the way we deliver infrastructure. If you know, it, it, why why now? You know, we sounds like we are getting it. We are starting to turn the point. There are there are projects that we're delivering that are bringing these benefits. Why do we need to give it that that extra shove? What what are we missing? What are we getting wrong? So I think there's a number of elements to, to your question, James, that I think are really important in this space. Um, if I look uh, at the recovery from the pandemic, clearly there's an economic driver where we need to come out of the recession and, and build back better, faster, greener. That's very clear. But actually, I think there's also uh, a, a desire, and we we painted this picture in our uh, Transforming Infrastructure Performance document we published over the summer, where if we want a vision for 2030, where we can collectively prioritise and, and, and focus on outcomes, as Colin uh, described, really focusing on those societal needs, then we need to be smarter at using data, we need to be smarter at using technology and improved delivery models to really achieve them through the right interventions, especially in the built environment. And many, many conversations I've been involved in during the pandemic from the uh, construction industry has, has given a very strong message that they really don't want to return to that race to lowest cost, um, uncompetitive uh, environment, uh, lack of focus on future um, supply chain. They really want to move the industry along. So given the fact that we've got this clear vision, given the fact that we've got economic driver, and now, of course, with the Chancellor's budget and reaffirmation of the National Infrastructure Strategy, we've got a hugely ambitious uh, infrastructure agenda ahead of us. We've never had a better time to invest in the industry, invest in the future, and focus on driving to a data digital technology future. So it's a really exciting time as far as I'm concerned. And, and all those elements have come together to create quite a positive uh, future forward for us. And Colin, I mean, I, I think it's very interesting what Nick was saying that this is an exciting time. And I think we we've discussed internally at Acon that this is a really interesting uh, point in, in in what what happens next. But you know, we talk about digital transformation. This is something that we've been talking about for years. 
But do you think now is a time that we're really going to embrace this and really deliver on what we've we've been trying to achieve for uh, for the last four, five, six, well, ten years, really? I, I think it's a case of having to. Um, the you know we we see you know the challenges that come uh, you know coming from all angles you know, in in terms of uh, climate sustainability yeah, and and indeed you know, one of the the real benefits that infrastructure can bring is making improvements in the way that we deliver something so we're not just looking short term and I think that you know, one of the real advents of um, some of the virtual reality tools, the AI that we use means that there's, there's an element almost of buying before you buy. Some of the tools are so smart now that you can almost bring to life projects um, before they get built. And one of the, uh, I think, keys to success here, you know, we, we hear a lot about build, build, build. Well, you know, to do build, 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 you've got to design, 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 because we, 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 we can't miss the opportunity, which I think is probably a once in a lifetime opportunity to design and build infrastructure which is you know truly fit for the future um so i think it's a real case of having to do it rather than it, than it's a nice to have mm. but i mean it can't be all about the tools surely it can't all about digital transformation we've got to have the right culture in place we've got to have the right skills we've got to have the right level of ambition um do you think that we the pandemic has really focused the mind i mean a Nick or Colin on this one. I don't think it has really focused minds and you know it's going to take a quite a while for us all to get to the to the level. And we do talk a lot about the skills shortage. We've got some definitely some some work to do ahead. James, maybe I can come in there because I think Colin's right. I think we, we're we're at a point that we have to do something different. And the reason for that is really that the ambition of the national infrastructure strategy is so large that we will not be able to deliver it unless we create capacity in the marketplace to deliver it. That means finding smarter ways of doing the work, which is how digital technologies and, and you know advancements in modern methods of construction can help us. But we also need to become more productive and look at other industries. So I think there's a, a certainly an urgent need. Have we got the right um, focus, mindset, agreement across the sector? No, not universally, I don't believe. I think there's a growing recognition that something's got to give. I think there's a lot of apprehension about the how. And certainly from my perspective, I'm seeing a lot of pockets of excellence where people totally get it. They're embracing technology and seeing a step change in performance. I think how do we create that ambition across the sector for me is the challenge. And having um, all parts of the supply chain embrace it in equal measure and recognising the part they play. Because one of the challenges we've got is it's a very fragmented uh, sector compared with other industries. And I think um, we as clients and, and you as delivery partners have got to find ways of piecing that fragmentation together, actually. Colin, are there industries that you really look to, to for inspiration? I mean, do you agree with what Nick says that there, there are pockets of, of where things are really getting it right that, that should we should look to, 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 uh, to copy, to, to, to learn from? I think we, we've got an opportunity to to bring together you know the the, the best of various industries and the, you know the, the the best brains from across the you know it, it, let, let's be honest the planet because in the world's a much smaller place we've learned that during COVID you can, you can engage with people in a much different and broader way and you know I look at something you know that, that we're, we're working on at the moment such as the you know natural capsule laboratory you know which is a for those who don't know about it, it's a a rewilding project where you know, we're we're putting native forest and peatland, um, reintroducing locally 
extinct species back to 100 acres of land in Scotland. And you know that program is not just something that ACOM are doing. It's bringing together conservationists, scientists, built environment experts. And you know, off the back of that, we will be able to look at what's the environmental change, what, what's the value that you know this environment creates. But critically to measure that, we're, we're using you know, remote sensing drones, AI, as I talked about before. And I think you know, one of the things that we'll be doing with that data is sharing it, because I think we've got a real opportunity, and I've, I've used this word before, obligation to share the data, to show um, everybody the difference that can be made when you, when you bring together learning and best practice from all over and target it. Uh, in, in, in a very distinct way to make improvements in, you know, through infrastructure into society. So do you think that collaboration is, is a key part of this, Colin? 100%. 100%. You know, let, let's be honest, when, you, when you know, as Nick's mentioned, when you look at the National Infrastructure Strategy and, you know, and I, you know, I have the benefit of looking kind of across ACOM from a, you know, a global perspective, if you, if you were to bring this down into, you know, the normal competitive cycle, there's enough work to go around for everybody. And, you know, and there are times when, you know, it's all very good to be in competition and, you know, try to get to the right margins, but to a certain extent, you know, and I, I recognize that, you know, we've, we've all got shareholders, but if we can put that to one side and say, look, there's enough here to, you know, to be done. If we can share the information and we can do it better, then I, I just think that moral obligation that we've got to help, you know, as designers and engineers and suppliers is there. And I do think people want to collaborate. I think your question around, have we learned lessons from the pandemic? I really hope we don't forget the lessons of the pandemic too quickly. It, the, we, we, we learned, you know, that spirit of community. And we, we, we mentioned earlier about building hospitals uh, and, you know, other, other infrastructure really quickly. It shows what you can do when we put our minds to it. And I think if we can make that more the norm than the exception, then, then we, we could be in a fairly good place. What about the collaboration between public and, and private sectors as well? Because I mean, I, I, and I'd love to go and talk more about the the, the concept of, of collaboration because this, I think this is coming not just from the way we transform transform the way we deliver things, but also looking at sustainability agenda. And we can go on that in a minute. But the key that comes around everything at the moment is around collaboration. Nick, how do you see that that collaboration between public and private sector uh, working going forward? So, James, remember I just said that, you know, I felt that the construction sector was quite a fragmented sector. And to build on one of Colin's points about technology, we're never going to see the technology deployed in the right space unless we embrace the principles that we embodied in in the construction playbook publication, which was actually drafted collaboratively with with industry partners and private sector players. And the reason for that is very simple. If I give you one example, if we want to uh, embrace 5D CAD technology to deliver advanced work packages for field activities by craftsmen and women, that activity is typically carried out by tiers, let's say tier three, uh, four, and often five, and SMEs in the field. They are not going to buy and deploy 5D CAD unless the client and the tier ones and the design and coordinating contractors understand fully the benefits embrace the software and provide it in a way that's useful. And I think there's many examples of great technologies, which unless we collaborate and have a good conversation about how we do things better, smarter and greener, the technology will not get deployed. And I look out to um, other sectors such as the automotive and look at how they've evolved over the last 20 years. And you look at a, a car manufacturer now and how they've built their um, manufacturing assembly of their vehicles around their own supply chain with hugely powerful and strong collaborative models. 
I think we're in the same place in the construction sector in terms of the need. We haven't gone on that journey yet. So I think we've really got to find ways to collaborate together, break down some traditional silos and find smarter commercial models of working together. And, you know, the the digital world is upon us, whether we like it or not. So automated design software is upon us. So we're no longer going to be able to um, see contractors selling design hours in the way they did in the past. Design one, build many will be the norm. Being able to cut and paste uh, 3D virtual models is already possible. I've seen it in other sectors. So if we don't collaborate, we're going to be be less uh, powerful than we could be together. And I think the construction playbook for me was the um, the model of how we'd like to get that going. And it's probably essential, actually, that we think of of collaboration in that way if we want to deliver that national infrastructure strategy. Nick, it feels a little bit like, well, you know, I think we are. We're looking to other industries because we're playing catch up. Why why do you think it's taken infrastructure uh, so long to kind of switch on to this change and and actually feel some drive to make a a difference and make a, a change the way that we deliver? I think there's two two essential differences I see in, in the construction sector market. One is the behavior of clients. I think we've been slow to recognize that uh, lowest price isn't necessarily the best uh, whole life cost and value for money. And so clients have a huge part to play in what they ask for. And this fragmentation in the marketplace where selling hours and making revenue from, from the hours has been the norm and that doesn't necessarily have to be the norm going forward. I'm sure shareholders would be very happy if co- companies made twice the profit with less revenue. And so we've got to get away from this tradition of selling hours. And, and that's hard and, and difficult to do because it means a challenge to what has been the normal way of doing business for the last 40 years. And we've got to break away from that. Mm. Colin, what do you, where do you see Acom fitting into all of this? What do you think of the, the role is for a, a large infrastructure consultancy like Acom to to piece of, to put it to pull everything together and to, to work with large and small clients and partners. Well, I think we we must make sure we're not afraid to take the lead in some areas as well. And yeah, you know, some of the communications we put out around you know, building sustainable legacies, running a business, you know, on ESG principles, you know, are not just rhetoric. You know, they're, they're absolutely meant, you know, throughout the, the you know the company and. You know, we've we've seen you know where our ESG has been tested by projects that you know we've we've decided not to work on because it just doesn't accord to you know where we want the the company to be in the future. And I think you know Nick's absolutely right to talk about a fragmented approach um, in certain areas because the one the one thing we're missing and the one thing that is really difficult for those of us in the private sector is certainty. You know, if we can get certainty, we will invest. And you'll and you'll bring investment into uh, in, you know, into the market as well. But the longer we have that lack of certainty, the long, or, or the more times that a, a program is changed or is not completed, or you know, let's go, let's talk about rail. You know, there, there's no integrated rail plan there. That makes it really, really difficult for us to decide when and how to invest. And sometimes you, you, you can't just switch these things on and off. You know, you need to have a bit of a run at it. So I think if we to, to improve upon that fragmentation, we definitely need more certainty about the, uh, the infrastructure pipeline. So, James, I think maybe if I can come in there and just uh, assure everyone, we have a hugely ambitious pipeline, and it is pretty certain. So, the NIS um, adds up to something of the order of six hundred and fifty billion pounds over the next ten years. I think the Chancellor in the uh, budget last week reaffirmed 
of the order of 100 billion a year of spend. And I published a pipeline through the IPA in the summer, highlighting the near-term uh, procurements that would happen in the marketplace. So I never, I don't think we've ever had such certainty uh, coming down the track. And the IRP will be published uh, shortly to reaffirm the continuance of some of the major rail schemes we've got going. So I'm looking at, you know, uh, 50 schools a year, 48 hospitals in flight, the uh, four prisons we've got going, as well as uh, RIS2 road scheme and the rail schemes through Network Rail, HS2 and the Integrated Rail Plan for the North. And most recently, we've heard of um, the agreement to go ahead and build a new nuclear power station and invest in pilot schemes for carbon capture and hydrogen. So um, we are not short of a pipeline at all. We have more work than we can cope with right now unless we reform the industry. And I think the, you know, that, that for me is... You know that, that, that kind of picks up the point I made. There's enough work to go around. You know, it's having confidence in that pipeline, and I think you know having a very open conversation. You know, at, at an early stage about where we can best deliver value. And I think you know we, we've got to get you know all of us as an industry together at that concept and design stage to to really focus on you know output and outcomes because that that's the the bit that can sometimes get lost particularly a lengthy project as well you know so you know we we welcome that that certainty which is starting to be driven throughout the pipeline we, we just now need to have the confidence that you know that it will be there and i think you know to the, the engagement that we're starting to have i think not just only with with government but across um, you know the industry itself, where we're engaging with you know other those who've been traditionally competitors, but we're starting to you know to work with them in terms of you know sharing that best practice and knowledge that we've picked up from uh, from other projects. Um, obviously, COP twenty six. I mean, huge event. We're we're kind of still sitting in the sort of the shadow of, of, of coming off the back of COP twenty six, and uh, we can probably discuss whether COP twenty six was a success or a failure in, a, in another podcast. But um, how has events like 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 COP twenty six this this sense of building back greener? How has that changed things? How has that? I mean, how has that changed perhaps the pipeline, Nick and and Colin? How has that changed how organisations like Acom look at that pipeline? I know that you mentioned earlier around looking at our sustainable legacies, which is our, our ESG strategy, has meant that for, for us, for some projects, we'll, we'll no longer continue with, or we will be, you know, be a bit more selective. But, but how has it changed things more broadly across the the industry? Um, Nick, maybe starting with you, has that made sure. changes to the pipeline and changes the way that you're going to do things? So it's reaffirmed a lot of the the content in the national infrastructure strategy. So huge investments in nuclear power which is very clear now uh, in the budget, um, a serious investment in uh, carbon capture and sequestration, and then moving to green hydrogen as a future um, uh, fuel, which I think is important. You heard uh, before COP26, the announcement of the phasing out of fossil fuel vehicles and uh, electric vehicle uh, sales are already uh, going quite a pace. We have the Electric Charging Infrastructure Fund and a whole raft of other projects in renewables already on, on the card. So we are very clearly seeing a government committed to net zero by 2050 and quite an ambitious journey to get there. I don't think we have all the answers, but I think there's enough in the pipeline now to show that they're serious and, uh, and many, many billions of, of pounds worth of investment in the pipeline already. Good. I think to build up, to build on that, I mean, it, it, it is now about turning the ambition into action, um, and that's where that collaboration across industries is going to be key. Because I think if if we can 
you know, the, the dynamic that's, that's driven by you know, COP26 brings you know, the, the targets very much into the public eye. Um, it starts to build a sense of accountability where you know where people now are, are going to, to to look at us and government and say, okay, are you are you are you are you walking the talk? Are you you're doing as you said you would do? Uh, and I think you know this this is where we need to you know take into account not just the green credentials of a, you know just that built environment, but the social equity that that has driven out of it, as we mentioned earlier. And, and for us, you know, as a business, we've got to set ambitious targets and make sure that we deliver on those. But critically, we need to help our clients and partners to, you know, perhaps stretch themselves and achieve their goals as well. I think you raise a great point there, Colin, that, you know, the, the, the government sets a framework and they set out some of these major schemes, but there's nothing to stop individual companies setting their own targets and ambitions and changing behaviours. You know, there's many, many companies have already changed their vehicle fleets out for electric vehicles, and they think very cautiously and consciously about their um, carbon footprint as they move forward. And I think we're going to see an increasing trend in that space um, going forward. And part of the transforming infrastructure performance roadmap that we painted was to really put the United Nations Sustainable Development Goals on on the table, because I think having that broader view of the impact you have, whether it be a carbon impact or, or other societal impacts, I think it's going to be more and more important to the citizen how serious you are about all the elements that are important to them. And that's why we painted that roadmap, because I think society has different expectations now rather than just a, a business um, uh, benefits calculation to be done on a particular investment. They want to see what else are you doing to benefit society more broadly. And really important we get that right. And not easy to do. It's easy to say, but not easy to do. But I think it'll require us all to collaborate in a way we've perhaps not done before. I think that's right. I mean, you know, just a, a small example, you know, from an ACOM perspective, you know, off the back of our learning through, you know, throughout the pandemic and, you know, the way we've been able to, you know, effectively run the business. You know, we've introduced a, a travel travel with purpose um, policy where, you know, we it, it needs to be a really, really good reason if you're going to, you know, jump on a flight somewhere um, that uh, and meet if, you know, why can't you do that? Um, you know, over video before, and I think it's just driving different thinking. I also think, I mean, and, and this is a a really interesting dynamic. You know, but we we've just hired, I think, over six hundred graduates and apprentices. You know, this year, and there is a real demand for you know those graduates and apprentices in the market, and you know they are very very keen and very very quick to ask me and others. You know, what what is it we're going to do? To, you know, to make the world a better place. So there's an expectation, I think, from a you know from a generational perspective, and I think learning that we've seen throughout the pandemic is that actively starts to build in. Because you're right, we don't we don't we shouldn't have to just deliver to the government standards. We should challenge ourselves as well. I, I was up at, at COP26 a couple of weeks ago, and I, I was chatting to people, and one person brought to me the idea of the, the ambition loop. And I think exactly what you're talking about there is that the government is setting out ambitious targets for for the private sector to, to follow, to to kind of bounce ideas back off. But then it's up to the to organisations like ACOM to then come up with more challenging objectives, more challenging goals, to then put pressure back on the government again to say, okay, well, what more have you got? And, and build momentum that way, which I think is a really interesting way of, of looking at it. Um, I just wonder, going back to the kind of the, the societal benefits of, of infrastructure, do we need to be better at, at, at communicating to people what those benefits are going to be? 
I mean, do we still have a problem that people don't see why we are trying to deliver major infrastructure? They don't see those 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 long term benefits and the way they're going to affect and, and create opportunities for their community. James, I think you raise a great point there, and, and I think you're right to to a certain extent. Some schemes are very clear. If you're building a hospital, I think that the benefits are pretty obvious, and you know, bed space is created, and better and more modern facilities always brings better service and value. More difficult with linear infrastructure to explain, but I do think, uh, you know, we we haven't seen a, a particularly good job on HS2 as one example where, when it's in operation and it provides a low cost. Um, fast connectivity between the cities of the United Kingdom and gives you choices as alternate to air travel, domestic air travel. There's an immediate uh, impact on carbon and without a detriment to travel. In fact, you'd be able to travel uh, quicker than you would uh, by the time you've gone through airport security. So I think we need to do a much better job on, on the linear infrastructure space, less worried on the uh, the other elements of infrastructure. But there's much more we can do to actually look beyond just the building. You know, are we reducing the overall carbon footprint? Are we looking at whole life carbon for the assets that we build? Are we looking at the other societal benefits during the delivery and construction phase? And I've got one or two projects which are doing some really, really good work to look at local employment around their projects and how they can bring schemes to bear to actually address employment issues, um, to address uh, you know, uh, female STEM graduates to uh, consider employment of ex-offenders and really take seriously some of the issues of society today on their projects. So the investment delivers an end result, yes, but if it actually brings societal benefit during its uh, execution phase, so much the better. My background, uh, you know, a couple of roles I've done, you know, working at, you know, one of the you know, largest major airports and working on a, you know, one of the largest and the metros, you know, that, that's in the world, and it's quite interesting that we 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 learnt um, the hard way that you know if you if you tell people that their journey is going to be interrupted, that's the only thing they focus on. If you tell somebody that um, in six months' time this is how good their journey is going to be and the benefits is going to deliver to them going forward, they look at it in a different way. Now you're never going to get away from the you know kind of the the, the old daily gripe and moan. Um, that somebody feels on, on their commute. But if you can keep communicating the benefits, and I think we have to look at the way we do communicate. And, you know, you're the expert here, James, and the, the ways, you know, we need to communicate with people. But you know, it, we've got to work out how to get the message out there and absolutely start, we, you know, we've got to start the whole design based on the benefit we're trying to deliver. And we've got to start the communication you know, at that benefit stage and almost work backwards. So the, the interruption and the disruption that people feel is very much, to be short-term for the longer-term good. Yeah. I do wonder, and you know, this is a, a podcast that's listened to globally, but I, I do wonder that, uh, steering away from London issues too much, but you know, next year, hopefully Crossrail will be coming online. And I, I do wonder how how that will be received and whether people will actually be able to, I think it's important for us in industry to highlight those benefits and those great stories that will come out for for, for seeing the difference that Crossrail will make to London, obviously something that Acom has been working on. So I, I'll be interested to see how the, the communications come out around that and see how it's received and maybe whether that inspires people to, to have more faith in infrastructure that's going to be delivered. But James, just, just on that point, it's, it's quite an interesting topic you raised there on Crossrail because I had the benefit of visiting Paddington Station and seeing some of the tremendous work that went into, into that build, you know, a seven-storey station where top floor is at ground level and you only go down to 
to rail level from there and very complex construct. It was done using modern methods with prefabrication, really impressive. And then, of course, everyone remembers that Crossrail's late because of the systems integration. But I was um, also invited to look at the lessons learned on the Jubilee line in mm-hmm. London and reflect on how complex and challenging that project was. And now when you look at it, it, it's the enabler for all the investment you've subsequently seen over the last 20 years in Canary Wharf and the huge economic and, and commercial and societal benefits that have come with that as one of the few places in London to invest in such schemes. Uh, it would not have happened without the Jubilee line and, and all that was um, behind the success of that project ultimately. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm glad to hear that you like the work at Paddington because I'm, you know, both definite plug for ACOM. We were heavily involved in some of that design work. So that's good to hear. Um, yeah, I, I think it'll be really, really, really interesting to see what, what happens next, uh, next year. Um, okay. So uh, we've identified there are some problems. We've identified that some industries we should look to. So, so what do we do next? What, what are the next steps? Um, how do we, we, we transform? Colin, to coin your phrase, this ambition to, to action. Colin, what do you think we need to be doing next? I, I think, and I, I've said this before, we, 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 we need to be sharing, and I'm, I'm talking about, you know, probably more us in the in the private sector. One of, one of the other learnings that we had from uh, the pandemic, you know, even within ACOM, you know, almost 50,000 people globally, did I truly know Everybody was doing in in ACOM and some of the projects that it, you know that people were working on because you can guarantee that you know that no matter you know whichever country you're in, um, whatever project you're launching, somebody elsewhere has probably done it already and has got some learning that they can share on that. And I think you know that the, the kind of the adage of making the world a smaller place. You know how is it that we can share best practice quickly and bring lessons learned to our clients at that design stage? So we're absolutely designing uh, for the future, and I think you know when we when we talk about designing for the future, you know we, we've got to use you know think about those principles of circularity where you know where we're reducing the amount of new materials, where we're maximising the materials recovered. You know what can we you know reuse, what can we repair, what can we refurbish, um, but critically any new infrastructure. You know, and, and this is the the age where we're going to be putting a lot of new infrastructure in the ground has all of those principles in mind. So we're, we're absolutely designing for, you know, reuse and uh, reappropriation in the future. Um, Nick, anything to, to follow up on? What next steps? Where do we go from here? Yeah, so let me let me build on Colin's comments because I think it's really important. Um, he, he mentioned that, you know, you need to know who's doing it uh, the best they can do it. So cost and carbon benchmarking is going to become increasingly important in the infrastructure world, knowing what can be done to deliver a particular outcome. A ruthless focus on outcomes for the citizen is a really important lens to have. And that means we're going to have to get smarter at using the the digital tools. So harmonizing, digitalizing, rationalizing, certainly in government, our specifications and standards and thinking about how we can get repeatability and plan for reuse. Clearly a focus on net zero and the wider sustainable uh, development goals. I want to see the implementation of the construction playbook. We've talked about it. We've developed it with industry. Now we need to show up and actually apply it and get some strategic alliances in place where we break down that fragmentation in the industry. We need to really be serious about having 3D models of all our assets and using the data behind those assets to better uh, results. And one we haven't talked on too much, although Colin mentioned the interest in in your graduates and, and apprentices, 
I think we've got to invest in our people for the future. I think if you think about um, virtual reality, it was created by smart folks involved in the gaming industry. Um, we've got a very aging workforce in the construction sector, and we need to attract new talent, talent who are comfortable working in the virtual environment, people who are going to bring those new digital skills to the table. And it's not just um, apprentices at, at a, a craft level. It's also graduates at, at all levels to come in and really energize the industry to go to the next level. I think we've got a real opportunity now with the a pipeline and a, and a positive uh, investment future. Uh, and as we come out of the pandemic, I don't think the stars will align quite as well as they do now to really invest in our future, both the people as well as the technology. Yeah. Colin, anything you want to add further on skills? And you know, I saw I saw on, on LinkedIn the other day that our head of visualization had got his 10-year-old daughter wearing the, his VR kit and getting her ready for the, the work for the for the skills ahead. So how do we make sure that we've got a workforce that are, that are fully trained and ready? Well, I think we, we, we've got to learn to, you know, perhaps engage in non-traditional ways. I mean, it's a, it's a truism that, you know, the next great digital tool could be invented in somebody's bedsit as opposed to a, a software house somewhere, you know, because we've, we've got people out there who are, you know, very bright, very intelligent and, and looking to solve things. And I, and I think we've got to encourage that. So we've, we've got to, um, and I always hesitate to use the word innovation because I think it becomes a little bit, you know, overused and it can, it, we can end up making it meaningless unless we're careful. But we've, we've got to encourage people to do that. And we've almost got to allow them to fail on occasions as well, because the, you know, the, the, the best ideas are not always the first ones that come out. And I, and I think certainly, you know, I've been really delighted to, to see the, you know, the, the, not just the capabilities and the, you know, to use the ambition word again of, of our new starters, but just the passion that, that they, they bring to it. You know, they, they, they really, really, really want to help to, to fix the problem, whatever, you know, that, that, that seems to be, but also to really contribute to society. And, uh, I think we can help them work with that as well. So I think we've got to engage in, in, in different ways. We've got to be open ourselves to, to new ideas and, and new methods of doing things. Uh, and we've absolutely got to encourage people to, um, you know, to get involved in the debate because, uh, you know, the, the, the next great idea could come from anywhere. Uh, look, just conscious of time, the final topic I wanted to come to, on to is, uh, is, is, is the thorny issue of how do we pay for it all? You know, there's some great ideas here. There's great you know, ways that we're going to deliver in the future. But, but Nick, how do, how do we, we, we pay for all of this ambition? Um, you know, we've got things like the National Infrastructure Bank coming into play. How, do we, how are we going to do that going forward? Well, I think it comes from two sources. It comes from public sector funding and, and private sector investment. And you've seen from the Chancellor his commitment to the public sector investment. And I think if we can follow the journey to become more productive, that's how you invest in people and the technology. You know, it's self, self-sustaining from the projects themselves. I, I have a personal view that we are probably 30 to 40% less productive than we could be in, in our environment. Um, if you take that against the backdrop of the NIS, that's a huge sum of money. Um, so I don't think it needs extra above and beyond um, the public sector spend for the NIS. I do think there's an enabler from that public sector spend, and we typically see quite a healthy ratio where you invest in a, a rail or road infrastructure, you see it pulls in 
private sector investment and growth. And so if you reflect on the scale of the NIS, the opportunity for private sector investment, good private sector investment, is quite positive. So I don't think we're looking for further handouts, James. I think the the, the solution sits in our own hands, quite frankly. I think yeah, maybe I'll, I'll turn more to that private sector investment because it is a blend of, of public and private. And, um, you know, I'll, I'll go back to the yeah, the, the point I made earlier in terms of in, in order to get banks and other institutional investors to provide upfront capital investment, um, you know, they, they need a predictable revenue stream. And, you know, that, that's where if we can get, as we've, we talked about certainty in the infrastructure pipeline, if people can actually see things, you know, coming out of the ground, you will attract more investment as well. You know, there, there is money in the system that is undoubtedly there, but it's that predictability of the revenue stream that goes with that and it absolutely does necessitate the a good open conversation um, between government and private investors well look, i think that's an excellent excellent place to leave it today um just you know very quickly just say thank you very much to colin uh, wood and to, to nick smallwood for for your time today much appreciated really interesting conversation um, now, if you enjoyed this podcast, uh, then please subscribe, leave a review, and of course, tell your friends and your colleagues to do the same. Uh, I'll be back soon with another episode of Talking Infrastructure. Until then, take care and goodbye. Goodbye.